They create snapshots of life. Welcome to the place where lyrics ignite meaningful conversations. I'm Angela Poe Russell, and this is Lyrics to Life. In today's Lyrics to Life, the voice taking off on the national stage. We found each other. When you hit that note, everybody felt it. Out of a broken place. On the 19th season of NBC's The Voice, Paige Turner is seeking to redefine what a woman like her should sound like. In her single, But For Now, she's not only embracing her sound, but also her story. It's been a while since I've prayed a little harder. I'm running fast, but I'm trying to run farther from truth. Yeah. Having to take this entire thing that you believed in your entire life and just throw it out of the window was definitely one of the hardest things. So you're letting go of this battle. But I'm trying to run we're going deep with 27-year-old Paige Turner in today's Lyrics to Life. I guess what I'm really curious about digging into a little more is you talk about people not being used to hearing a woman use her lower register and right. how is has that been a struggle for you at all because i have heard singers think that their voice doesn't have value if they're not singing like celine dion or something listen <laughs> the biggest struggle ever um even going into the show it was a really huge struggle for me because obviously you're in a hotel with a bunch of very talented musicians like there is no question about that you are in the cream of the crop right now and you know Oftentimes, I'm not going to lie, being even a Black female and not singing in the rafters and singing like a gospel singer all the time was something that I really struggled with um, being okay with um, for a second. Like, I remember specifically, I think it was my senior year in high school, I was like, oh, God, I got to learn how to do runs. I got to learn how to do runs. That's almost what is expected. Um, but at the same time, I was just like, I remember spending a couple of months trying to understand runs and understand how to approach runs. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I can do this because essentially it's just a scale, just sped up. Um, but I, then I started realizing, wait a second, this is not for you at all. It's not in your, your forte. It's not something that is a necessity for you. And then I, instead of working on runs, I started working on the control of my voice, being able to manipulate my voice. Um, because that's one thing that is a necessity when you're learning how to do runs is learning how to control your voice. So in that process, I kind of discovered that my voice had cracks in it and this rasp and this way of, um, I think technically it would be called a yodel, but I do like this kind of thing where I jump from my chest voice to my head voice really quickly. I heard it. I'm so excited yes. jumping because I heard it was like, whoa. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of singers do it, but it's being able to know when to do it and how to do it and choosing when to do it. So I started establishing that control for myself at a really young age because 
obviously the world is used to seeing, listening to like Celine Dion's and Jennifer Hudson's and, you know, like people like Tony Braxton, these are my idols, Tony Braxton and Sade. They were like one, not one hit wonders, but they had like a couple of songs that everyone was like, yeah, this is great. But after that, their careers kind of just moseyed on, you know, and it's usually the higher singers that get a further career, which is fine. But my goal was to redefine that, you know, because there's just no room to not appreciate an alto voice. Like, there's no room. We got to. I agree. <laughs> it's interesting because you just, I, I feel like you hit the nail on the head. So, because as, as an artist, the whole idea is for you to kind of own your uniqueness. Right. And if we have this one definition of what a black female singer should sound like, right. where's the creativity, the artistry, the texture? Where is that? It's, it's nowhere. It's nowhere because I feel as though one of the things that I'm starting to learn just by studying, you know, my demographic, especially because my de demographic is definitely odd because I don't have, I have a specific genre and a specific feel of what I am but I just love music. So I incorporate almost everything into whatever I'm writing. And one of the things that I've noticed just from listening to how people view music and just talking to friends about how they view music if they're not in the music industry is just like, most of the times people don't understand it. It's not something that they understand because whatever they hear, most people don't hear pitch the greatest. So if it sounds semi-decent, it's great. Not to say that people don't sound good, it's just, important to really establish the different um voices that there are like nobody sounds like Beyonce let's be real nobody sounds like Beyonce nobody sounds like Billie Eilish we can all imitate these things every single artist has something very unique about themselves and I think it's really important to lock and tune into the uniqueness because that's really what makes the artist the artist so yeah I'm so glad you did because there was no doubt when you hit that note, it just, everybody felt it. They felt it. Yes. And I think you did it twice. And it was just like, yes, I am feeling that. It's so, it's refreshing. That's so good to hear. Cause my mom was like, you better hit that note and you have to hit it hard. <laughs> my mom's classically trained. So she's like, I need you to bring that note out more for me. And I was like, okay. Oh, wow. So this way. is new. I didn't know this, that you had a classically trained mother or have Ooh. a classically trained mother. So that's a whole, what was that like growing yeah. up in the midst of that? It was honestly, I think my mom's influence on my, my musical journey was probably the best thing ever. I wouldn't have approached music the way that I do today. Cause I grew up behind the scenes with her she's in a choral choir back in the caribbean so a lot of it is classical training and i grew up watching musicals and fell in love with musicals and the idea of just being able to be on stage and perform and the first thing i learned how to do when i was saying was harmonize 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 got to get that down harmonize and then learn how to blend so that was really important to her and being on pitch, of course, but she's also a really low singer. She sings lower than I do. Um, so yeah, she is, I would say she's a, she's a, in the baritone bass register, which where I'm venturing a little bit more into as well. So, you know, I'm going to have to go into YouTube and try to find her then. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course. 
All right, we're gonna make sure we leave that so people can uh, find her too. Yes. I wanna talk about your song, But For Now, because I wanted to see what your your newest music was. And on Apple right. Music, I found But For Now. And the sound is so cool. It kinda, it definitely has a soulful vibe, but just yeah. um, maybe was sprinkled with a bit of rock. I mean, how do you describe right. it? describe it in that way it does have that little bit of soul it almost like it's soul indie if you listen to the um the acoustic version of it which was recorded like a couple years ago um it's got that little bit of soul indie like subtle touch but when the guitar opens up it opens up and it goes <laughs> that's one of my favorite parts of the song i have a very very incredible talented band so i was so thankful that they brought the vision of that soul rock indie type of thing into yeah of what I wanted it to be so yeah it's beautiful and I, I'm curious what was the inspiration for the song because some yeah. of the lyrics in here it definitely sounds it's it's so deep and I don't want to take away from it by trying to say it but this whole idea that you're running from something that you're running from truth that you're trying to get away from it so what oh, was yeah. the inspiration for that yeah so oftentimes this is I don't know how many people approach songwriting this way um I am not a traditional songwriter, so I don't sit down. Yeah, it sounds it's about to get weirder. Okay, good. I can't wait. <laughs> yes. So I didn't start developing um, instrument knowledge till I moved to the stage when I was like 13, 14 was when I picked up my first instrument. And my first instrument was piano. And that took me in a different realm completely. I would say like if I were writing on piano, it would be completely different. It would be more evanescency kind of thing because it's, it's different. Piano is just like, it breathes itself, I think is what piano is. And I picked up guitar a little bit later. So one of the things that I approach when I do songwriting for on the guitar is I start plucking out chords and allowing the rhythm to become its thing. And then I'll open up my voice to it and start putting in different vowels, different consonants to see where I want it to go. And oftentimes, this is gonna sound really weird, um, actually, I think this is always my approach. I don't ever have a theme. I allow the instrument to tell me what to do next. So usually the guitar, that was my cat. <laughs> usually the guitar um, brings out the melody for me and it also brings out the lyrics. So whatever I'm playing, whatever the rhythm is, whatever the melodic structure is that I have, um, I kind of almost allow the instrument itself to create the story for me and create the emotion. And that's really what my journey has been with as, as a songwriter. So, but for now came from a place, I honestly think came from a place of a lot of um, hurt in the church, a lot of hurt in family situations. And oftentimes I have no idea what I'm writing about because I just allow it to just come out. I think I honestly take songwriting like journaling because I am awful at journaling. Awful. Every time I pick up a pencil and paper and I'm like, what do I do with this? So most of the times I'm like, okay, let's put like my guitar to it, make it a lot easier. Yeah. So that's really and truly the approach to the song was let's journal it out. And even that lyrical line of it's been a while since I've prayed a little harder. I'm running fast, but I'm running farther from truth. Um, I went through this phase in my life. Um, I think it was in 2017 definitely 2017, where I started challenging my faith. And I've always been a challenger. And 
one of the biggest things that I started challenging myself to know more about was more learn more about who I am in my faith. Because oftentimes I feel as though the church played a, a little bit of a role of establishing, you know, my beliefs. And I was just like, you know, something is not making sense to me. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, like going to church every Sunday. I'm on the worship team. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm leading Bible study. But something just wasn't there. The connection wasn't there. Like, I was just like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why can't I hear you more, God? And I just remember sitting down with my guitar for this one and telling God, I was just like, hey, I think it would be a good idea if I stopped being on the worship team, stopped leading Bible study, and just not go to church anymore. And that was a really difficult decision because it's my, my faith became so much of my identity that I was just essentially throwing it away. And I wasn't throwing away necessarily the faith part, but I was throwing away the religion part because I spent so much time caught up on this one idea of something without establishing my own truth in what faith and what God was to me. And I didn't really have the greatest relationship with my dad. So one of my biggest struggles was trust. And I didn't understand how to trust God. And that was something that I really wanted to do was just go backwards. So the running fast, but running farther from truth was really me running away from the church in a sense running away from what society considered the truth and what was something that didn't, wasn't that for me anymore. It wasn't the truth because something was just missing in the correlation between authenticity and ritualistic things. So yeah, that is one. And so, very and so this, this whole part about distraction to cover the reflection. Yeah. The distraction coming to reflection in a mirror. Um, I am awful, awful at embracing my feelings and my emotions. I grew up in a very, I would say the cultures in my household was very different. So my mom was in a sense, a conservative Christian in the Caribbean, but not, um, it's, it's way different in the Caribbean. And then my dad's side of the family was Pentecost, not Pentecostal, sorry, sorry. Presbyterian and Hindu, which don't make sense. Um, yeah, the they, Caribbean okay. loves to make religion. Right, right. The Caribbean loves to just intertwine religion. So <laughs> a huge thing. So my dad's side of the family is, from, is Middle Eastern Indian. And when I moved here, I left my mom and my sisters and then came across with my dad. And being a, a believer in God in Christ in a household where there was, you know, the controversy of other gods was a constant contradiction in my head. And oftentimes they, my mom taught me how to be open and then they didn't. I learned how to suppress really well with my dad's side of the family. He didn't cry, didn't tell anybody how you felt about them. It was just this kind of cold feeling. And I just remembered constantly having distractions to make up for however I was feeling, or if I was feeling something, I would do something else so I didn't have to feel it anymore. I would go hang out with friends or go to sports. It was always something in the way to keep me from actually looking in the mirror and saying, you got to deal with this. So yeah, it's, it's 
something I'm still even learning as an adult and still dealing with it. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because oftentimes, at least the church I attended for a while, many years ago, they, this whole idea of, of shut off your feelings, it's not about how you feel. But then I learned over time that no, my feelings are actually a pretty good compass. Right. <laughs> and right. so if I'm feeling some kind of way, that usually means there's, there's a reason and I need to listen to right. it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think for me, something that I've started realizing about feelings is like, there's, I call it 2D feeling. I've been starting to understand my spirituality a little bit more. Um, there's the level of feeling physically and the level of feeling that physical feeling of feeling, which is sounds weird. And there's the level of spiritual feeling that's completely different. It's like, because I know exactly what you're talking about, that feeling of discernment and in, like intuition of knowing when something's not right. Exactly. Establishing those two different things is really hard because in a sense, they contradict each other, but they line up in, mm -hmm. in ways. And you have to be able to, to control the physical feeling, but also control the spiritual feeling. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. So how long ago was that when you prayed to God and said, look, this is what I'm doing and yeah. <laughs> go a different path. How long ago was that? That was 2017. Um, that was a really rough year because I established some parts of my sexuality. I didn't even know existed as well too. So it was, it was a lot. It was a okay. Lot. So for you, it was, it was, coming to terms with who you were as a person, um, mm -hmm. as a human, or is it, or I don't know how you define it. I don't know if you want to share, but for you, yeah. was it orientation uh, say, or? Right. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest struggles that year was, was dealing with my, in my sexuality and dealing with that in the church and, you know, how the church viewed sexuality. I have always said, you know, I would never be attracted to the same sex or, whatever the situation is. And that changed at 24. I don't know if it's always existed in me. I can't say that I've been attracted to females my entire life because I don't feel that way. Um, but that was a huge flip in that entire faith thing and those distractions. I think for a long time, I distracted myself with it. And having to change that and completely flip your mindset after when you've been told this, this story your entire life and having to completely take, I was 24. Yeah. 24. Yeah. yeah 24, 25. And having to take this entire thing that you believed in your entire life and just throw it out of the window was definitely one of the hardest things. I remember even moving here to Washington. I met one of my friends here and she was just like, you got to let that go. If you don't let that go, you are going to be struggling for a long time. So I finally am like almost letting it go. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to ask you, how have you been? Obviously, it's it's difficult when you have to kind of, you know, take that leap, you know, because right. it really is this leap of saying, OK, this I've got to follow what I what I'm feeling is is the right thing, what I know to be right. the right thing and the truth. And that's scary when you take the leap. Scary. And then sometimes on the other side of it, there's a lot of joy and gifts to be found. I mean, so how, since that, since you took the leap, how are you doing? I feel as though, um, honestly, even after the, sh after the show, I've been, I've been okay. I've been trying to establish all these different things about myself, especially I've learned in that process 
process of doing the show, I've learned so much about myself, so much about like traumas that has, have existed that I never even knew about. Um, so I think one of the most beautiful things that I can say that I'm learning and understanding and the gifts that I've received in this process is the gift of um, one understanding, um, the gift of discernment, I would definitely say is a huge thing. And just being, I think one of the things that I have always never been good at is being kind to myself. And I think a lot of people can identify with that. We're always our worst critic. Um, but that's something that has been really, really a huge pivotal point in my journey to who I am today, especially as a songwriter, because it comes out when I open my mouth. It, I really can't contain that, um, which I'm very thankful for. I'm very thankful for the, the, the platform to be a musician in general. But I would say one of the biggest things that I am thankful for is that kindness that I'm starting to give to myself because at some point somebody no one else can finish that void the only you can finish that void for yourself so that's been a beautifully hard thing to accept but I'm here for it I love risk I love a challenge I love putting myself at the end of the cliff to find something at the you know in the the tunnel or wherever I'm looking you know what I mean I love putting myself on just emotional edge so I can really come to terms with who pages. So, yeah. yeah. And do you think when you take yourself to the edge of the cliff, whether it's going on the voice or making a decision about your faith, do you find that it gets easier every time or is it still like that scary jump every single time? <laughs> I think it really depends. Sometimes it is a lot easier. It's easier for the moment. I think it's easier the moment that you say, I'm finally here. I've taken it taking the jump, blah, 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 blah. But I think oftentimes people think once you take the jump, it's just going to get easier. No, it doesn't get easier. Um, <laughs> like I landed, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the more you jump, the more you encounter. Because I feel as though the closer we get to this, wow, this is a really spiritual conversation. I feel as though the closer we get to finding our true selves, the more things are going to come in our way. The more hurdles are going to come in our way. Because I feel as though, that's just the way things work. And I think it works that way for a specific reason. Otherwise we wouldn't necessarily be the people that we are today if we didn't have those challenges to overcome and those cliffs to jump off. So I welcome whatever else is coming over after I jump over the cliff because it's worth it. It's 100% worth it. And this show has been 1000% worth it. So. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, I have to ask this. Do yes. you think, is there anything the church could have done that would have made it feel right for you or you feel like it just wasn't? Yeah, I think I love the concept of church and I love, um, I love God. That will never change. That'll never change. It doesn't matter what a church does to me. A lot of people are like, but it's a church. We love people. And I'm like, yeah, but God is consistent. This isn't. Um, if for me, one of the biggest things that the church could change, <laughs> one of the biggest things that the church can change for me is the level of community. I think society views community in a specific way. And I think this goes beyond the church. I think the concept of community, love, trust and hope and loyalty has been tainted. And until we can come back to the understanding of that, the biggest thing that I think 
as a society besides that side of the church that we can come back to is intimacy. I don't want community. I want intimacy. I want intentionality. And I want people that are willing to say, hey, um, this is not okay. I'm holding you accountable. I'm here for you type of thing. You know what I mean? I think that we, we're missing that as a society, someone to say, I'm going to be intentional about pursuing you. I'm going to be intentional about being your friend, intentional about being everything that I can be for you. And we're going to grow together. And I think it lies deeper than community for me. It lies in the intimacy and then willingness to say, I don't care what this person's going through. I'm going to battle with you. And I expect the same thing. So and, and as opposed to community, what does community look like versus intimacy? Right. Um, to, if I were to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, very honest person. <laughs> Me too. I stand for truth. You ever seen yes. my promos? <laughs> <laughs> I think if I were to be honest about the word community, I feel as though we do a really bad job at it. Um, I think we contradict ourselves. Um, you look at all the communities and oftentimes we, the first word that comes out of our mouth is equality. We want equality. And it's always about me, 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 me. And community is never about me, me, me. It's about the collective. It's about how you can work equally. So the equality part is what's missing from a lot of community for me personally. And that's totally totally okay. um, Because I think that's something that our society is coming to understand, especially during the pandemic, is understanding who really is community and who really is that intimate community. And oftentimes we don't necessarily need a giant community to navigate through life. Sometimes we just might need one friend, two friends. You never know. Depends on the seasons of our life. That you have, in your words, intimacy with. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I've actually found way more intimacy outside of the church than I've found in the church in the amount of years that I've existed. I can say strongly that I have a few friends that have stuck with me from the church that are still talking to me. And other than that, the people that who have claimed to be my community for so long have only reached out since the show, which is completely fine with me. I think that needed to happen for me to learn some very valuable lessons in life. And those valuable, I'm a very giving person. I'm a very open person. And the lessons are self-care which I'm learning very roughly, self-care. I love it. And just for clarification, intimacy in the context of church looks like? Intimacy in the context of church looks like intentionality, um, accountability, and togetherness and growing together, I think would be my definition of intimacy in the church. So your lyrics, usually when I do songs for the show, I'm reading the lyrics. I wasn't able to see yours in advance, but I'm listening, listening. And um, but for now, I'm like, okay, but for now, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm letting go. (laughs) Was that the line? Yes, but for now, I'm letting go. That is absolutely beautiful. So it's like all these things you're running from, you know, the reflection, the truth, you're trying to get away from it. And you're just like... Yeah. Well, what did that feel like? I mean, like, so you're letting go of this battle. Yeah. It's, it, honestly, I think it's one of the most refreshing things I've ever decided to do was let go. And I think most people think of the let go as in like, okay, I'm just letting it be in existence. But in reality, it's not letting go of it, the existence of said, you know, distractions and said issues. It's letting go of myself and letting go of the control that I want for 
these specific things because I do want to go back to church. I do want all these things, but I don't have control of that. And I have to accept 100% that I can no longer be controlled. I need to allow myself to be free in order to engulf the rest of the things and encompass everything that I need to learn. So letting go and just open my arms freely and willing to, to take on anything and anything that comes at me and just really understanding on a deeper level who Paige is and who God is, is really where I am right now. It's just letting go and letting all the, the trash of what everyone else is saying and allowing that freedom to enter. So feels a lot lighter. <laughs> it does feel a lot lighter. A lot of burdens gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what have you learned about yourself during your time on The Voice so far? That's such a good question, actually, because that's something I've been pondering since I've been back. Um, one of the biggest things that I learned about myself is the control thing. I do have control issues when it comes to just anything. I think coming from the past that I had, I never had a, like control over anything. I didn't have control over whether my parents split up, didn't have control whether of moving or not. Like that, sure, it was an option, but it wouldn't have been an option eventually. Um, but the biggest thing that I have control over is my music and what comes out of my mouth and letting myself go. Usually I don't sing covers. And if I sing covers, I usually don't sing it the same way. So I usually rewrite stuff. But I really wanted to make sure that I was still embodying the power of um, the person's song, The Weeknd, you know, making sure I was keeping truth to that, especially being, you know, on such a big platform. So I think letting go of that control of one, I'm usually with a guitar. Um, not having my guitar with me was a control thing. And then two, approaching it in the sense of, okay, this is not usually how I would arrange things. But at the end of the day, I'm learning from not arranging in my way. You know what I mean? So it was just, it was beautiful. It was beautiful working with a team that helped me understand things that I would have normally wanted to control, but they helped me understand that there's something else in the song that I can do. You know what I mean? So that's something that I definitely learned. I also learned that I have a lot of work to do in the sense of my traumas and things that exist, you know, things that I didn't know were present in my mind. I learned a lot about my emotional journey, you know, as a kid and understanding some things that I went through came to surface, you know, during the show. So. It, wow. So these were traumas that you remembered, but buried. And then during the show, it kind it of came. bubbled up. Yeah. I had no idea I buried them until they bubbled up. So. And when I, you said you buried them, like you didn't even recall. Didn't recall. Yeah. It was like, you know, that defense mechanism kids go through with, like if they're going through trauma, they just block things out and it just disappears for a long amount of time. Yep. Yeah. Know all about and it. Yeah. Of, yeah, exactly. And one of the things I was really thankful about the show is that we got the opportunity to sit down and be interviewed and they asked us these questions and just even just the, the way they phrased the question was like, it was just so beautiful. Like they'll understand, like you guys actually helped me uncover a lot of things about myself that I had no idea existed because I wouldn't naturally sit down and talk to someone about my problems. I hate therapy. I have a traumatic experience with therapy. So I've just avoided it. So it was very therapeutic. And 
I loved how the producers approached things. Um, they were so very hands-on making sure that we were okay. Um, there was always Kleenexes prepared. Like if we had little breakdowns, they would pause and be like, okay, let's, let's talk about this and let's take a moment and let's breathe. And if something important came up, that was very traumatic. You know, they were very attentive to, to making sure that we felt comfortable and that was really essential to me. So, wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that is, uh, a lot to think that going on a show, like going on a right. TV show and would change every, a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, that's life changing to all of a sudden bring to the surface stuff that's just been buried. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm sorry for whatever you went through and are going through. Right. I'm also at the same time, um, hopeful about where you go next yeah. because you're now able to kind of, I feel like when traumas go unaddressed, it's like you're kind of, you know, almost sleepwalking a little bit, yeah, which is you're sleepwalking. Which is yeah, you're EP. <laughs> that's kind of weird. Right. Kind <laughs> that's of kind weird. of weird. I mean, I'm talking about the name for the album, but yeah, it's almost like walking around a little bit, not seeing everything because you don't know sometimes what's driving the behavior, right? Or driving yeah, exactly, exactly. And I saw a lot of that come out on the show. Actually, you know, it's it's odd because this is a different season, you know, it is a very different season with COVID and everything. And, you know, being, um, being in isolation for a little bit was, was something that really helped me understand a lot about myself because I didn't have the distractions. That was one of the biggest things is I didn't have anything to distract me. I had to really sit there and understand who I was as a person throughout this whole process. And, it was rough. It was beautiful. It was a lot of tears. And I am just, I'm thankful to NBC. Like now that I think about it, I'm very thankful to NBC for that entire, this entire journey. It's just, it's beautiful. I would never go back and be like, I hate this. No, I love it. I love it. Every single second. Yeah. So, so um, what is working with Gwen like? Ooh, working with Gwen Stefani. Um, she is, okay, first of all, she's hilarious. Um, so just that that process of her, like, I, I think there was a clip of her, her and I dancing together. Like we were both just like shimmying. Hilarious. She's just so funny and just very down to earth and very um, open. And she's willing to learn with me, which I really, really, really liked. That was like one of the, the best things about, you know, hearing her talk back to me when she turned around, I was petrified that she wouldn't turn her chair. <laughs> but thankfully she turned at that, like that last minute. I was like, oh my God, thank God, thank God. Yeah, um, cause you are, are a fan of hers. I'm a huge fan, yeah. Definitely love, definitely love me some Gwen Stefani. I wouldn't have been mad about Blake either though. I love Blake. It was very evident that I love Blake, so. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's been it's been really, 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 really fun working with um with Gwen. So yeah, what did you admire about Gwen coming into the show? I, I admire her, her boldness. She's so bold. She's so like eccentric, and I think she identifies with herself and herself only. And that's really essential to me in my journey as an artist is not identifying to who society wants me to be or the industry wants me to be, it's identifying with Paige. Cause at the end of the day, I get to come home to Paige, nobody else. So making sure that I still have some sort of like foundation, which is very evident in Gwen. It's evident every time she steps out. I mean, look at what she wears. It's very, it's internal and physical. So it's a beautiful thing to be a part of that journey. So beautiful.
yeah, I always like to ask, is there anything else you want us to know? No, we definitely got into a lot of things. <laughs> that's yeah, I'm kind of the yeah. deep dive person. So that's kind of how yes, I, go. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So. Have a great day. So much. It was a great time talking. So same, same. Okay. Take care. I just love that conversation. Thank you so much, Paige, for appearing on this podcast. If you'd like to hear more of her music, just check her out on Apple or Spotify. Paige Turner, that's P-A-Y-G-E. And of course, you can see her on this season of The Voice. Thank you for listening to Lyrics to Life. If there's a song you'd like to explore and talk about, let us know on Instagram or send us an email to lyricstolifepodcast at gmail.com. That's lyrics to life podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I'm Angela Poe Russell.